0: Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, your weekly podcast, twice weekly podcast. It's a podcast. You can listen to it. My name's Margaret. I'm the host of it. This week, we are talking about anti-racist action, or ARA for short, and with me today explaining all of this and gatekeeping the naming conventions of this group is the one and only Shannon Clay. Shannon, how are you? I'm, I'm fine. It's okay. You, I can't <laughs> stop you. it's my podcast okay and we also have a sophie ray lichterman with us how are you today
3: i don't know government name i don't know am i in trouble
0: (laughs) i don't know i just read it off the zoom the zoom name
3: oh that's true very formal today margaret
0: (laughs) if that is yeah that is my name yeah Uh, yeah yeah sophie is our producer hi shan is our guest ian is our audio editor the music was made for us by Unwoman, and today we are doing part two of anti-racist action, which was a coalition, a formal network of people who, uh, whose motto was we go where they go about following racists and preventing them from doing organizing, sometimes by counter-organizing and sometimes by throwing large rocks that they found next to train tracks. Is that a decent... Decent uh, start. And where we just last left our heroes, they had just formally become Mawfulfumfum, the Midwest Anti-Fascist Network. Did I get that right? Mm.
6: Yes. Although, I, dear listener, can just kind of skip over that in their brain if it's easier. Uh, technically okay. called themselves the Midwest Anti-Fascist Network for a year, but renamed and... I just think of it as always uh, the Anti-Racist Action Network.
0: One of the things that's really interesting to me about it that, you know, it started as the Midwest thing is that, like, the Midwest is not the part of the country that people who don't live in the Midwest think about all that regularly, Um, which is a shame. There's very many nice things. I don't know, there's probably some windmills. No, I actually really like the Midwest. But I don't know, that's, like, one of the things that's really interesting to me about it is that this, uh, you know... The pla we we always think about like the places that the right wing comes from, but we don't realize that the same places that the right wing comes from are also where a lot of the countering forces to the right wing come from. Um I don't know, that was like one of my takeaways I was thinking about yesterday. Yesterday, Monday, ten minutes ago. Time is meaningless.
6: (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely though. And I and I you're right. And thanks for like kind of reminding me of it because I I, I think that is a really cool thing to like really appreciate about anti-racist action um, is that they really did. Um, so we talked about how they like really grew and coalesced around like following the Klan around the Midwest. Mm-hmm. The corollary of that was that like you were starting to get anti-racist action chapters in like exactly in like small towns. You know, one of, one of the big ones was like you know there was like maybe a, a college town in in Ohio. I remember someone told me about like one chapter that was like just like four punk kids who lived in like the same trailer park in Indiana Mm -hmm. and that it it was going to like small town America and bringing in, I think a lot of people from, yeah, just exactly like you said, that it it wasn't all, you know, I don't know, coastal elites or what have you, (laughs) um, that it it was bringing in. Yeah. People from the flyover states basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's it makes sense. And it's like, you know, cause like I feel like that's a thing that we talk about right now is like the US is polarizing very hard and we people are like thinking things more in terms of like red states and blue states than ever before, even though that makes even less sense than usual as we see during well an election will have happened by the time people who are listening to this have heard it. But you know, like we keep seeing that what is a red state or what is a blue state can change very quickly because like you're not talking about huge percent differences. Like, you know, um, there's still people of all different political ideologies in all different types of spaces. And like just the tiniest shift in percentage will allow those political ideologies to kind of take over, which is why shit like ARA seems so important to me, right? Is because it would be so easy for Nazis or far-right things as we're watching happen in real time uh, to our lives in the United States. When people are not successfully shut down, they grow, the right wing grows, and it can really easily shift things. And I don't know, which I guess my like hopeful takeaway is that it's also possible to shift things backwards, back the way, I don't know, never mind. I don't know where I'm going with this. Please, please rescue me by telling me what's happening next in the ARA story.
6: I'll start off with a more thematic response to the thematic thing you're saying that i think another okay. really cool thing and I, I haven't like super explicitly touched on this but I, another really cool thing about ara was that it did bring in people from a lot of different i think ranges of like political experience and political mm-hmm. commitment and the way that one person uh steve from michigan who was like uh, a punk kid and then got into like hip-hop and stuff and joined as a student at msu Uh, Mm -hmm. the way he described it was it was really cool that you could be in a room with like people who've been dedicated like leftists communists but most commonly uh anarchists for like 20 30 years and you could have like a 15 year old random punk kid in like the same room uh and Mm -hmm. that they're all like part of the same group anti-racist action and trying to build towards working together uh yeah and learning from each other and so that was another i think really special thing about ara that maybe haven't touched on super briefly but take my word for it now uh ara draw drew in a pretty wide variety of i think it was accessible to people who were like first wanting to get involved because maybe they just hear about like oh like the clan obviously mm. that's bad yeah i want to go fuck up or i want to go oppose the clan you can fuck them up too. That's completely fine <laughs> from
0: my point of view. I would never tell anyone what to do, but fucking up the clan is always a moral good.
6: Mm, yeah. Maybe I, I stop myself because I don't know how often that's going to be someone's like first intro of like uh, but yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who Opposing like, you them know, in
0: other ways is great too.
6: Yeah, who like, oh, you know, for my first ever political anything, like, yeah, I'll I'll go oppose the clan and but they're like joining the same group where there are I don't know, people like this dude, Mac, who was like an anti-racist lawyer who'd been involved in, in like sort of new left, left stuff out of like the 60s and Students for a Democratic mm-hmm. Society. And he had this different experience. You had like, you, you had some of the old heads bring, coming in and bringing in that, that lived experience and knowledge and wisdom uh, along with, you know, fucking 14-year-old kids. And that was really cool about yeah. AI.
0: That's cool. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so where we last left them, they had just formed ARANet more or less. A year from now, they'll change their name to AraNet, but the the concept yeah. is there. So, so what happens then? Yeah.
6: So I will just give a really brief overview uh, of basically the like network formally. So Ara, it's worth keeping in mind, was always a pretty like decentralized group. I think that was in- informed by like of any like super involved political tendency. Anarchists were the biggest one. Um, but it wasn't just like an anarchist thing. It was also just that you had so many different people with different beliefs. It was a very mm-hmm. decentralized group so that you could have everyone in the same room working together towards the common goal of like fighting Nazis. And so, you know, it's kind of that there, there are a, a lot of the time, the best way to understand, uh, something about ARA would be to like, look at specific chapters, maybe doing things, but because it's such a rich history and so many different chapters got up to so many different things, uh, we could be here all day. and. Of course, I would love that, and I know everyone else would love <laughs> that. But, but yeah, to to we'll we'll zoom out and give a more bird's eye view of maybe like what the network was doing. Okay, and then I think maybe we will we will zoom in um, okay. and give some like uh, specific examples of different chapters. But so the network as like formal grouping of different people coming together, I think a lot of the driving force in bringing people together again continues to be clan rallies, for example. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing that brought people together into this conference that happened in October of 1994. That same stuff continues. Different clans are still uh, doing the same thing and having public events and trying to get their message out. And ARA chapters uh, are continuing to oppose them. Like I said, as ARA goes around and, you know, they're, they're printing out pamphlets and they're signing people up on their mailing list and they're traveling all over. So, area is growing, and you're getting people, like I said, like from a college town in Ohio or from a trailer park in Indiana. An area is really growing pretty meaningfully, especially like in this Midwest context of fighting against clans. And they continue to have some really cool victories against the clans. You continue to have a lot of like a very high uh, rate, though, of, of clan events. Clan events are happening uh, on a really regular basis. And I think at mm-hmm. this time, A.R.A.'s model really becomes what what one person, Jerry from Columbus, described as a like grinding consistency. And so getting into like, I think it was 1995, I want to say, uh, there was like one clan, for example, where the, the head of that clan said that they were going to have 88 rallies uh, in like <laughs> a year because that was like how many. So it like at least one for every county in Ohio. And so like i've 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 done political stuff. I haven't done eighty eight like rallies in a year. That's like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like easily one every weekend. And so what it becomes about is like following them just really consistently and trying to take what is for the clan meant to be like a cool, encouraging well, maybe they wouldn't put it in those terms. But what is for the clan meant to be like a constructive event of them like pushing forward and getting their message out mm-hmm. uh instead. ARA just trying to make it basically a not fun time for them that like every weekend they're going out and every weekend they're getting shouted down, being told that them and their ideas are very unpopular. You know, maybe they are getting things thrown at them. I think the physicality um, is sort of maybe going down over time, not -hmm. because people are less militant, but uh, basically the police are learning over time and wanting to be a bit more yeah. And basically realizing how sort of serious they have to take this and that, or well, (laughs) realizing that if the cops don't do anything, then it's very possible for the clan to like get the shit kicked out of them. Uh, and so the police sort of catch up to that over time and start being, you, you get very significant police presences and maybe you'll have like a hundred clan people and like 200 cops or something. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just becomes this grinding consistency over time. And, um, ARA really growing from this and honestly like i don't want to skip too much chronologically if you read the book we have some like really cool you know great examples but again like so much of it is just consistency that i can kind of like to an extent say that like that's pretty much what they got up to uh at least those ARA members who were involved in anti-clan mm-hmm. stuff for like a couple of years so like I'm, I'm gonna have a quote now from like
2: 1997
6: okay and so we've you know skipped ahead but like don't don't feel like we're missing things really because i just said we've skipped ahead we haven't really skipped ahead it's that like the stuff that they were doing in you know 1992 um and then into 1994 with the Mathnet conference that established the network Mm -hmm. they're continuing to do that with just really significant dedication and and you know uh getting more people out over time but it's a lot of the time the same ideas so that then uh by like 1997 this I, I mentioned the same guy Jerry uh said that as he put it that the clan was having uh, failure after failure after failure after failure so there was like one event that they had in April in Pittsburgh and I remember reading in the newspaper that the clan like gathered at like a Burger King in the next town and like there was, I think the way the newspaper put it, there was like a local, there was a disturbance at the local Burger King or something. And I don't know anything about that, but I just think that's a funny sentence, disturbance at the local <laughs> Burger King. Um, and then go out and try to have their rally and like, just like, they never get anywhere mm-hmm. um, because there was, I, I don't even know what the numbers are. I've, I've been told, I, I think it might've been like literally like 10,000 people on the streets of Pittsburgh for this you know pretty small clan rally that they were trying to or pretty small clan grouping trying to give their speeches and instead they come out and just like you know imagine the streets just like packed to the gills with people so that like who
0: wanted impossible whoppers but they were like 20 years too early (laughs) exactly
6: the vegan time travelers Mm -hmm. were very upset about the way that the the whole thing went really yeah
0: because people from the future went back to go fight Nazis back then and they assumed that when they got there they'd be able to like well look it's at a Burger King so at least there's going to be something we can eat and imagine their surprise when they found out the impossible whopper was um still considered impossible at that time <laughs>
6: exactly i'm so am I'm, I'm glad we're teasing out the burger kingness because mm-hmm. so the clan rally they the clan gathered at the at the Burger King but mm-hmm. i just thought that was hilarious this is all then happening on like the other side of town
0: oh okay well never mind yeah
6: yeah sorry i made it too confusing i just any any opportunity to mention burger king yeah i just yeah inherently funny (laughs) i am also i am vegan and their uh impossible whopper is just okay
2: it's (laughs) (laughs) is laughing (laughs) um uh, but
6: yeah, so, uh, Pittsburgh, I think just like a, a really cool example of like, it wasn't, there, there was some super dramatic, like, you know, street fighting or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, street fighting can be cool if the ones that you're street fighting are Nazis, but instead they just had like so many thousands of people in Pittsburgh that like the clan never got their message across the street, even just totally drowned out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way that Jerry put it for yeah he put it that uh there were the event was a success because the anti clan pro- protesters had uh quote jerry such great numbers that we didn't even have to fight such great fighters such great numbers that the only picture you can see of your rally is of the counter rally from the helicopter yeah like journalists trying to get a shot of a, a rally and all they see is like a sea of people saying that the clan is not welcome here
0: well and that's such like a, a classic example of when the media tries to be like let's look at both sides of the story. And one is the story of 35 people and one is the story of 3,500 people. And like yeah. the media will be like, both of these are equally weighted. And you're like, <laughs> that, makes, that makes no sense.
6: But so, and, and so this is also a, a good opportunity to understand more of how ARA was doing that not 100% of the people were like ARA members. Like ARA was not,
4: mm-hmm. you know,
6: this mass organization with like 10,000 members coming to one rally. But they were doing a lot of the work, maybe organizing. And so in the case of Pittsburgh specifically, uh, for example, they were in uh, like a coalition. Um, I think there were like campus people involved. Uh, There were like, I want to say maybe even like religious groups. There were like, you know, local Mm -hmm. communists and stuff, leftists who are going to come to a Klan rally of like a coalition bringing out like a ton, a ton of people and ARA are one of the forces who... Um, are there at this specific Pittsburgh rally and are doing a lot of uh, doing these rallies like all the time on a really regular basis. And so, yeah, ARA really brought the Klan. People, I think, and this is like a credit to them that the people who were involved in ARA who I spoke to are not, you know, instantly looking to like just take credit for the sake of it, um, that they want to sort of like, let's do what is politically best. Like, if this works, let's say it works. If it doesn't work, let's not. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think some people I spoke to were hesitant to like, they didn't want to say that ARA like could take 100% of the credit that like the ARA quote unquote, like stopped the Klan. But this was like a very dynamic period of Klan organizing from like 1990 through maybe like 1999-ish. Okay, Um, But it was really like, at every step of the way, they were hounded by ARA and by other people. And so um, I'll just go ahead and, and read from the person who was there who put it past. You could just see we limited what the clan could do. They had marches and we fucked up their marches. Then they had to be stationary and then they had to be in a pen. It's like a they were up in like big fences, like protected by the police, basically. And the police and the clan were constantly reacting to what ARA was doing we could see in real time that we were having an effect attracting the attention of the motherfuckers. We fought the clan to a standstill. I wouldn't say we beat them, but we made it very, very difficult for them to do their work and we changed the parameters of how they could even organize. Yeah, Hell yeah. And so, yeah, by like 98, 99 into like 2001-ish, uh, you like, we're still having clan events going on, but like that quote just said, ARA had had done a really good job of kind of getting in their way at every turn, pretty much, and keeping it limited. And so by, like, 2000, 2001, the Klan is really pretty much out of the picture and much, uh, maybe that's a little strong to say, but, but like, much less of a significant thing than they were in, like, 1995-ish when, you know, this Ohio yeah. Klan was having one rally a weekend, stuff like that.
0: Yes, because, like, we can't go back and we can't run the experiment of the 90s twice and and see what happens if we take out the ARA, right? So we can't say that without the ARA, the KKK would have had explosive growth or something. But it, it's still, when we see, oh, well, we tried to smash the KKK and the KKK survived, so therefore we failed. And that's, like, not true at all because, yeah, when they stopped the KKK's organizing, they stopped the KKK's growth, they stopped the allowing them to be unchallenged or whatever, right? Like, I don't know, there's this thing. A lot of the discourse around this time period um, – I remember I lived, you know, in the mid-Atlantic during during this time. Is that people would talk about like, well, if you go fight them in the streets or you go confront them in the streets, you give them what they want. They want a big spectacle. They want, um, you know, they want the fight so that they look tough and and all of this stuff. And this is a thing that people talk about in anti-fascist organizing a lot. And I'm curious what the ARA's kind of stance on this was. Um, the thing that I've run across the, for the most part is the realization that. It only looks good when they get into street fights, when they like give as good as they get and or win, ideally win. Because overall, I would con- claim that fascism is a coward's ideology and it's an ideology where like, you know, I was reading about historical KKK the other day and how most of the fights that they would take on were 40 to 1. You know, they like wouldn't fuck with people in a fair fight. And and so the KKKK, whatever, how many Ks, the clan will say like oh we're the underdogs and they'll play the underdog card because it's the only card in their hand but it doesn't play to their strengths like when they're the underdog when fascism is the underdog it doesn't do as well fascism does really well when it seems ascendant when you can be part when you're breaking through and no longer being the underdog you know that's that's fascism when it's at its best recruitment and when they just keep getting their asses handed to them or when they keep getting shouted down i mean they can recruit off of that but not as well i don't know that's my take and i'm wondering what the what the ara's take around that kind of stuff was
6: i'll try to give a couple answers really briefly that one i think this is a cool like sort of analytical question which is very important but the mm-hmm. ARA, sort of by its nature of being like very decentralized wasn't super you know didn't didn't have a super defined like party line and stuff like that and mm-hmm. um so you could find a, a variety of of viewpoints from that like sort of analytical tactical stuff um mm-hmm. of like these were conversations that era people absolutely had
0: that actually reminds me of sorry to cut you off it reminds me of our 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 new sponsor uh political pluralism in which you work in coalition with people that you don't have the exact same ideas as. Um, that's the new, right, Sophie? You managed to...
3: Political uh, pluralism.
0: Oh. Da, da, da. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who tweeted hashtag I believe in Sophie who convinced Sophie to continue to sing the jingles.
3: And, and sorry for those of you who are like, please don't tweet at her. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, here's some other ads.
3: Me
5: Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu.
0: We are back, and I accidentally derailed Capitalism derailed Shannon. With Ugh, those capitalism ads. At
3: it again.
6: Okay. It does it again. So there's no party line. Yeah but so so from a sort of like uh from a standpoint of like sort of the efficacy of it Mm -hmm. um from the like politics of it absolutely like the baseline of ara was always willing to be militant and willing to be confrontational in a way that like more traditional liberal politics isn't Mm -hmm. um they were as like a political principle they never believed like oh, let's look the other way and this will like wither away or something like, oh, don't don't feed them. They they definitely believed that like fascism needed to be uh, actively opposed and not just ignored. I think maybe one thing that I will just say, and so this is pretty much just me speaking and not ARA. <sighs> Who do I think I am? I'm a historian, but no, okay. uh, I will. I will briefly give just my own opinion that mm-hmm. one, I, I think you put it really well. And so I don't want to just restate what you said. But yeah, it's like explicitly a part of fascist politics in a way that it is not part of other politics to be like, we run the streets and are tough and masculine and win fights. Like if the, if, you know, the talking democratic party or something like gets their asses handed to them in like physical violence or something, then that does like, that doesn't conflict with the Democrat party platform. They're not yeah. like the democratic Party platform is not, we're really good at fighting. <laughs> it's it, that can play into their like sort of liberal conception of free speech that like, Oh, look at these, our opponents who are really bad and aren't respecting our liberal idea of free speech. And so uh, vote for us in order to defend free speech. We don't believe that fighting is the way to go. Mm-hmm. That, that works for the democratic party. It does not work for fascists. Yeah. Fascists, their politics is, we are the like ubermensch master race who are really strong and tough. And so then if they're getting their shit kicked in, then it's a very quick and objective demonstration that like, oh, well, I guess you're not though, are you? And it really kind of undermines their whole politics, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then the same also with outnumbering them constantly is that like, we are the real America. We are the majority, the silent majority. You're like, you're not though. You're just not. There's like ten times mm. as many of us. Fuck off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm. I'm sold. Um, okay. <laughs> so so let's let's continue onward.
6: Yeah. So I think the the clan stuff I try to bring us up to like maybe 1999 ish, mm-hmm. and I will uh, sidestep to again from like the national perspective uh, around like 1997 to 99. Uh, by national, I mean like ARA as a network, not mm-hmm. just like specific chapters that were in it, but ARA is like this national network is having huge, huge growth at this time for uh, one like pretty specific reason of like music tours. Huh. So ARA has been pretty closely linked with youth culture from its beginning of skinhead scenes and kicking Nazis out of punk scenes. But in 1997, and I think ARA has enough sort of like organizational capacity maybe to allow this, but they uh, go on like multiple... Tours all across the country with different, uh, starting in 1997, but through uh, I'm I'm going to say at least 1999, uh, with like different national music tours, and so they're in that context able to get their message out to like just so many people.
0: Is this DIY or is this like Warp tour?
6: Both, and yeah. then, So cool. the 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 I think the first example chronologically I can remember is uh a Veil, vale, uh, who were mm-hmm. like an influential early like. Emo hardcore band. They invited ARA on tour. I think that was, again, 1997. A much funnier example is the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I had oh, no God. idea that they had any politics <laughs> that rules. Third wave ska to the rescue. <laughs> Said no yeah. one before or after. <laughs> but, um, Okay. So, but yeah, but Mighty Mighty Boss Tones was like, okay, we see this cool political thing going on and mm-hmm. we want to pick it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. But uh, so they did meet ARA at literally the Warped Tour. And mm-hmm. I think like this was 1997, like 25 years ago, that Warped Tour was did have a bit more sort of DIY cred maybe, I gather. I was not around at the time. But anyway, but the, still the Boss Tones were like a, on a major label. Mm-hmm. They were a very big band um, and they met ARA uh, when ARA was tabling at a warp Tour or no, I think it was Lollapalooza actually in Chicago, but then invited ARA on a national tour. ARA toured with, yeah, just various different um, bands. And through that was getting their name out to like all kinds of different cities and towns. And again, specifically sort of like youth who were the kind of kids to like go to punk shows or DIY or maybe like almost DIY-ish shows and, and really grew a lot. And so that's the sort of bird's eye view that I want to give us right now that uh, 1997 through like 99, especially, although also before that, just to say that like by this time, ARA is like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of fucking people are in the group. I think it, the, the peak uh, of the most chapters that ARA ever had at a single time, I want to say was 179 chapters.
2: Damn.
6: Yeah. Which is like a lot. And that's at one time. And so that's not counting chapters that like popped up and then shut down again, which yeah. could happen pretty regularly. And so it was really like a pretty meaningful, like definitely countercultural force, but like, but pretty popular, like small p popular, not, not yeah. capital P like. But yeah, that was again the like bird's eye view I wanted to give us because mm-hmm. then maybe to we've covered. I'd say that the two of the like central um, sort of like point A to point B uh, historical like things of ARA with the the skinheads fighting Nazis and then the clan stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a reason I talked about that. But what I maybe haven't mentioned much up until now is that ARA like, yeah, you just had a lot of different groups doing a lot of different things like 179 chapters all active at the same time. Mm-hmm. They were not. All going to clan rallies or they were not all fighting nazis they were doing all kinds of different things and that uh maybe we could get into a little bit of that yeah what are they doing i up to now have not mentioned our dear neighbors to the north at all in canada Mm -hmm. and for that i i I do apologize to any canadian listeners in the know who might be offended oh um, they'll apologize
0: to us for being left out
6: (laughs) okay I will very briefly say, I have a dumbass fucking writing style of mm-hmm. like dumbass jokes. Uh and some of those, understandably or whatever, I guess, got cut out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my favorite by far was that the the first time we mentioned Canada in the book, I wrote Canada, comma, a country north of the United States. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, Margaret. That I just wanted to brag about that. I'm fucking funny. Yeah. I have I, zero apologies. I will say that. Um, I will always
3: the, laugh <laughs> at Canada jokes. <laughs> it's, it's it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> laughing with Canada.
3: Yeah. Sorry, laughing with you. Sorry, Canada. Actually, you should apologize to me for making me apologize. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Margaret, what were what were you saying?
0: Oh, I just want to make everyone clear. When Shannon said that the jokes got cut, not from this show, from the book. I want to be really yes. clear.
6: <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah. Um, and so it's okay. We, we had good, competent editors, but yeah, that was a good joke that yeah. it didn't make it into the book, but that you, dear listener, have, have been granted access to. So you're welcome. Okay.
3: You're welcome.
6: Okay. So what were they doing? Okay. Yeah. So that was a pointless fucking uh, side thing. Uh, the point being that uh, Canada was uh, a place where ARA was like pretty much from the beginning. In fact, there were, uh, some like skinhead crews who were in the syndicate Mm -hmm. who I could have mentioned, I think in like Winnipeg, Ontario, I want to say one of ARA's biggest chapters actually, uh, was in Toronto. They started around like 1992, but they did really important work fighting this group called the heritage front who were like a big deal of like Canada's like biggest fascists, biggest fascist group since like the forties easily was heritage front. Okay. They were. Yeah. Okay. We're trying to do speed round Uh, for, for, for more, you can read, we go where they go. The story of anti-racist action, but uh, Toronto did really important work. there, basically stopping the heritage front from doing what they were trying to do. Uh, working in solidarity with some, uh, indigenous activists as well, uh, up in Toronto, um, was how it like started, um, in order to fight, uh, the heritage front and, they just did a really good job of bringing people out for like really popular mobilizations, but still really uh, militant. The like coolest and most famous story, and we won't do this too much of a speed round because this is a good ass story that divide mm-hmm. that deserves its time. That in uh, they once did a rally where like they gathered everyone. Uh, the the meeting point was I don't know. It, there was a meeting point in Toronto, mm-hmm. and so everyone looks at this meeting point and is like, okay. From this meeting point, based on where we're meeting, clearly we're going to go to this place where um, rallies have been held before. There was, okay. I believe, the, it was like the house of a uh, pretty well-known like Nazi propagandist was like near this meeting point. And so everyone okay. was like, okay, so they're meeting at this spot because obviously they're going to head to this other house where this propagandist lives and they've demonstrated there before. But no, in fact... What happened was they got everyone at that meeting point so that everyone thought that they were going to, you know, point A. Mm-hmm. But actually what they did instead uh, was loaded everyone onto these like streetcars and then went to like a completely different place where like absolutely no one was expecting them to be. And this was a popular rally. Like they advertised it very publicly. Mm-hmm. I I don't know specifically if it was the the numbers, but like lots of people showed up and like even the people coming to this rally, you know, didn't know that this was the plan necessarily then you know the organizers who were in the know with ara uh direct everyone hey actually we're going to go on these streetcars they go to the next place uh and they bring like a ton of people to the house of someone who was uh involved in the heritage front and he was the voice on a rather famous thing that the heritage front did which was was called like a hate line it's a very 90s thing so Mm -hmm. bear with me that it was like it was a it was a telephone landline that you could like call into, and then no one would answer. It would go to an answering machine, but the answering machine—it wasn't like leave a message. It was like a racist diatribe. So you like called <laughs> into this line uh-huh. in order to hear the Heritage Front's racist propaganda. Mm-hmm. So the voice on that uh, line, and I, I gather that they like changed the message pretty regularly. Harry went to his house, which like no one was expecting. So they like did a bait and switch of we meet at this point. Everyone thinks that they're going to this one propagandist's house instead. they uh, And so by the way, that's where all the Nazis went to like defend the house and like prepared to throw down the wrong and get one. in fights. Yeah, the yeah. wrong house. Yeah. Instead, ARA loads everyone else and goes to like a completely different place and shows up at the house of this dude who was a, a big organizer for the Heritage Front and just had a rally there. And then and so this was not like a super planned thing, but there was like also no one who was necessarily stopping it right that they had uh you know if certain individuals were gonna like throw down no one was gonna stop them and so you had like a a whole rally outside of the house but then some people uh out of that rally chose individually to run up and like uh smash up the house and so there's like it makes like the front page i don't know about the front page but there are photos in like the this toronto newspaper of anti-racists smashing up the house of this like racist propagandist Hell yeah, uh, and sending a very clear message that that kind of like fascist propaganda wasn't welcome, sending a message to the fascist organizers that they could have consequences for the actions that they were doing. And also maybe sending a message to the other fascists that uh, Aire was smarter than them because Aire yeah. had tricked them all into going to the wrong place and then went to this other place that was like totally undefended.
0: Which is probably because they read today's sponsor... Uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War which everyone should read that says things like attack the enemy where they are weak not where they are strong which seems very obvious in retrospect but if you want a whole book of these obvious in retrospect you haven't thought about for your activism I recommend you pick up this new book written thousands of years ago called The Art of War by Sun Tzu Sophie, do you remember the jingle? I want to be remembered
4: for just being me.
1: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17 not a minute, without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
4: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com.
6: Yeah, so that was you know one uh, tiny little slice of the um, rich rich history of ARA mm-hmm. in Canada. Uh, there was some some of ARA's uh, most important work, and so again, in the time we're we're not gonna do justice to it, but you can read more about it in We Go Where They Go: The Story of Anti-Racist Action, published by PM Press.
2: <laughs>
6: the but some of the ARA's most important work was actually pro-choice organizing. Okay, and specifically. It's like it, it was like a whole genre um, of organizing called clinic defense, where in, in the most sort of simple description of it, you know, maybe someone is going to get uh, an abortion and a clinic has like a designated day that like abortions are on Tuesdays, for example. And then you have lots of anti-choice protesters out front who come to like harass the women who are trying to get abortions and harass the clinic and who might get pretty rowdy and who might like throw shit um, and who could be a real danger and a threat? And so, uh, from as early as like 1992, ish, I want to say, is one of the first examples I heard of it. And and throughout all the 90s, a lot of ARA organizers take that on. I think it's a really interesting example that like the affinity there is kind of like it's almost less. I mean, I think the reason that they did that and didn't do other cool leftist things uh, is like a tactical thing mm-hmm. that it involves like going somewhere and like physically putting your body on the line in order to like physically defend people uh, in a potentially rowdy context. And it's very like direct action oriented that I think lined up pretty well with sort of what was in ARA's wheelhouse. Yeah, And so ARA chapters all over supporting women trying to get abortions, supporting abortion clinics. That was actually probably the main sort of political development that ever happened within the ARA network, because like I said, it was pretty decentralized always and didn't have like a super specific party line uh it had the like points of unity that we heard but what the the like one most significant amendment that ever happened to those points of unity was era voting i believe the first vote was in 97 and it didn't pass and then it did pass in 98 to amend the points of unity to be explicitly pro choice hell yeah yeah and that's really cool it's cool to see that what you might call an intersection of uh, an anti-racist, anti-fascist group taking on um, reproductive rights. But also I think it's uh, one thing that I think is really interesting about it is that we might sort of take for granted in like 2022 that like a leftist ish group is going to be like, yeah. And also like reproductive freedom is good and important. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I, I draw that line pretty obviously, but that was like not the case for everyone in ARA, which was a very broad tent was this like anti-fascist thing. And so,
0: oh yeah, uh-huh. you had
6: so there there weren't all that many people who were like pro-life necessarily. Mm-hmm. but you did have people saying, like, well, do we want to put a pro-choice platform out and potentially alienate people who want to be who want to like fight Nazis but identify as pro-life? Mm-hmm. like do we want to kick them out of our organization or yeah uh, the maybe yes. our organization's about fighting Nazis. So it was a big okay. debate, and it was it was a really cool development that happened within ARA, and I think a lot of sort of education by women, by queer people within ARA, mm-hmm. uh, pushing the the network as a whole to understand that um, that was an important thing for ARA to to that that was an important line for ARA yeah. to put down, even though they were still a broad tent thing. Yeah, Lansing, Michigan. ARA was an important chapter and I mentioned them briefly um, and there was one person named Steve uh, who was very very helpful to me in like uh, getting me to Uh to, That's the first place I ever heard
0: Screwdriver Lansing, Michigan? Yeah
6: Oh, bummer
0: I know, no I agreed, it was definitely a bummer I, I met punks there and they were ironically listening to Screwdriver and I was like I don't believe you. <laughs> and I think I was right. Your yeah,
6: irony mean not very
0: funny. Yeah. This was right like 20 day.
6: years ago. Yeah. Dang. Anyway. Uh, well, Steve was not a Nazi. Steve was awesome. And mm-hmm. I just meant to put out a personal note that he was very helpful to me, um, like personally in all this research and stuff. But uh, so ARA Lansing was a really interesting chapter where um, they worked really hard to work in coalition. With other groups in Lansing that were doing broader stuff than just uh, anti-fascism, and so this is a really big topic mm-hmm. that I I don't think we have time to adequately address um, right now. But basically, there was a tension uh, within ARA over time that we're, we you know the name is literally anti-racist action. Yeah, um, I think in this podcast. Uh, I don't know about you, Margaret, I definitely have, you know, often been using the word racist, but realistically what they were targeting was very specifically fascists a lot of the time. Right. In the, yeah.
0: Which is different than racism in terms of like organizing models and
6: yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, they did absolutely do both, but that was a continual sort of topic of discussion and push and pull with an ARA was to what degree are we like an anti-fascist organization versus an anti-racist organization. hmm I think those discussions also overlapped with, to what degree is ARA like a quote-unquote white organization versus like a multiracial organization. ARA uh, started in very multiracial skinhead scenes. Okay. But over time became much wider. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Whiter with a T. Yeah. Yeah. So that by like, you know, especially maybe like 1998 or something, like I th- I think there, there, you know, were important exceptions detroit was a was a chapter that was uh i think probably like majority people of color for a bit but they're kind of like the exception that proves the rule that like people i spoke to uh, or a person i spoke to from detroit talks about going to the ara national network and like ara detroit kind of knew that they were different that they were like they had yeah. this uh multiracial character and then they look around at these other chapters at an ara national conference and see a lot of white faces really were you going to say something no no go ahead so just, then that sort of, uh, you know, tied into conversations of, so then is it, uh, and conversations that are still relevant of like, oh, is it our job to like, are, are we, does it mean that we're fucking up our anti-racist organizing if like, if we're anti-racist then like, how come there are so many white people in the room and not as many people of color? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, maybe, and I think this, this works a little bit better with like anti-fascist Stuff of like, you know, as one white skin had put it from Cincinnati, that they were fighting for their own liberation. And a lot of people in ARA who were white, like, obviously cared about racism. And it's not that, but they weren't like going out and trying to like save other people. They were like, I do not want to live under fascism. I am opposed to these fascists. So I, as a person, am going to go fight the fascists.
0: Right. Rather than like a savior complex.
6: Yeah. There's another line that maybe white people have a unique responsibility to fight fascism because fascists are organizing in white communities. Um, There was uh, one um, organizer, a Chicano organizer from Chicago, um, who put that really well, that he was like, he was like sick of seeing like the burden of fighting fascists fall on people of color. And the way he put it, that like ARA should be predominantly white. ARA should be going to like white communities and like handling the shit uh and maybe one last line that um the same person who i just quoted as saying like that he was fighting for his own liberation Mm -hmm. also put it as like he was that they were in competition with the clan for white people that like every white person who like joined ara who was you know maybe just like you know wasn't destined to be like a committed leftist or something they were you know again maybe some random kid from like a trailer park in indiana If they were in ARA, that meant that they weren't in the Klan. Right. Yeah. And so I don't want to give like disproportionately more oxygen to that line of like, oh, it's okay for ARA uh, to be super white. Just, I think maybe in 2022, it's kind of more obvious and intuitive to the average listener on like, it's a little weird maybe to have a group called anti-racist action and have it be a bunch of white people. But there were sort of, I I think there are... (laughs) there are valid points on both sides.
0: Well, I mean, it, not
6: a sentence I normally love saying. It
0: brings up a ton of questions, but it doesn't necessarily immediately provide answers and that's that seems like okay and then like I don't know, I'm probably not we might not be the best two people to decide exactly that kind of thing. Um yeah.
6: Mm. Yeah. But to to try to briefly tie that up into I mentioned Lansing. Mm-hmm. Uh Lansing was one uh group that was very explicitly wanted to like be a broader anti-racist group and Mm -hmm. wanted to like, and didn't want to just be like a bunch of white kids fighting Nazis. They wanted to, yeah, maybe address racism. That was like, uh, more in like people of color's day-to-day lives, for example. Mm -hmm. And so they did really interesting work in coalition with different groups around Lansing, um, generally fighting, uh, police brutality and like fighting austerity at the university, working with Mecha chapter, um, the, I won't butcher the Spanish. The Chicano student movement of Azatlan. a Chicano student group. Okay. Um, still around today, but they, uh, their chapter in Lansing at this time, them and uh, the ARA chapter were really tight. Again, fighting like police brutality, fighting austerity. There was an ARA group in Moscow, Idaho, fighting Aryan nations up in Idaho. There was... Ara groups like the whole last chapter of our book is about uh area out of chicago and more into the east coast fighting a group called the world church of the creator mm-hmm. and a group called the national alliance who were uh making a big push for fascism in like the 9 11 uh adjacent era mm-hmm. groups uh around california fighting the clan um groups in texas Ara, you know we we were able to just uh scratch the surface of Aras. Yeah, deep and rich history in today's episode but there were a lot of different people doing a lot of different and cool things and if any of them listen to this and I didn't cover their stuff I really apologize but a lot of it is really rich. No and fuck so much them. From. They, didn't,
0: they didn't deserve it. <laughs>
6: <laughs> I chose very explicitly who yeah. to deliberately exclude yeah, from this episode. exactly. With spite and malice aforethought. Yeah. Yeah but so yeah you know we're we're just not going to be able to cover everything yeah. in a um in a podcast.
0: It's almost like there's a whole book that people could read.
6: It's almost like that.
0: Well, okay. My takeaways <laughs> from from what you I took notes. The the things that Thank you. because we we live in a time when fascism is ascendant and or at least is growing in the United States right now and groups like the ARA have a lot to offer, I think like in terms of both positive and negative lessons and and things like that. And the the things that I wrote down, that they seem to be their strengths and part of why they were so cool. They outsmarted people because they read today's sponsor. They gathered diverse ideological positions and avoided a party line, which is actually, I know there's some irony here. I think it's actually a specifically unique advantage of of anarchists is that we theoretically uh, avoid um, telling people what to do And so, like, working in coalition and working um, alongside political pluralism is actually, like, can be a fairly natural thing. Because if different groups work together, they have to work together in a way that respects individuals' autonomy, the autonomy of the different groups and the different people within them. And so that fits very well in with my personal political ideology. But that is beside the point. Uh, Be rowdy. Go both DIY and mainstream in your outreach. And don't be afraid of doing both. Be decentralized and be willing to work in coalitions with other groups. Those are my takeaways. Um, am I missing any major ones? You know,
6: I have a tendency sometimes to uh, restate things back to people and make them more confusing, not less. And so I won't do that. I think you uh, summarize them uh, very well. Oh, I think thanks. the only thing that I will add is that maybe a, a lot of the time there was there there was there could be two different like, sort of trends pulling in different directions in ARA at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that sort of tension could be part of what made ARA what it was, but that there, uh, just to say that there are questions that never were firmly answered. Uh, and part of that maybe plays into what you said about, like, um, sort of being multi-tendency. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, there there were... You know how sort of wide ARA was was what made it able to mobilize like a lot of different people and get you know people who weren't already super committed leftists involved. For example, yeah. Uh, on the flip side, there are people who, or there were people who were sometimes frustrated with like the difficulty of having a sort of well defined proactive political line, and that sometimes it, it could have been cool to have something that was a bit more like sort of politically tight. That mm-hmm. maybe that's just kind of an inherent trade off that like you know, the reason that the Democratic Party is really big is that their politics is watered down and meaningless. <laughs> and uh, yeah. then on the other hand, you have super tight, well-defined uh, vanguard parties with two members. Uh, yeah. And that, you know, the like, you know, how much we define and how much sort of disagreement we allow is sort of a, an internal tension in politics. Yeah. Um, And so I'll just say that that, and other ones too are like, are we anti-racist, are we anti-fascist? Are we multiracial or are we white? Mm-hmm. Things like that were there could be questions in ARA's history that uh, never were resolved, and yeah, um, that's part of what ARA was was multiple people maybe doing work in different directions, but that all was was part of the same whole, sort of. So
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, if people want to know all of the answers, no, wait. If people want to understand more about the tensions, they can they can turn to your book, which is called. We Go Where They Go, a story, The Story of Anti-Racist Action. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. It's a good title.
6: Thank you. We stole it from Anti-Racist Action. Yeah. We Go Where They yeah. Go. Yeah, you
0: also stole the whole contents uh, from them. It seems to just be the story of them. Mm.
6: There is a chapter in the middle, uh, which is um, just my dream journal. Oh, okay. But yes, the rest of it is ARA. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm glad you didn't mark out which parts were which, too. So that was useful. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you want to plug?
6: You know what? I'm going to be a little bit cheesy for a second. That genuinely, yeah, like what the book is is the stories of like the people who were there, and you know, combined with other sources. And we try really hard not to cheerlead, and we didn't just say that like area was perfect and everything it did was cool. We did try to like an- analyze when it succeeded and when it failed. Um, but nonetheless, we did that from like a pretty unapologetic standpoint of like one, fascists have to be confronted, mm-hmm. and two, we wanted it to be sort of. Told from the perspective, not necessarily even from the perspective, but told by people who were there. And so, yeah, I was one small part of it. Um, but I'm immensely grateful to uh, the uh, all of the sources who spoke to me and who spoke to my co-authors. Uh, and I hope that we did. I, I will say that we did do uh, them justice. I hope <laughs> in uh, their what they said coming through uh, in the book that it, it really is their story, uh, and also my co-authors fucking sick uh three co-authors who are not here today obviously but they were all in ARA whereas I was not what are their names yeah Kristen Schwartz Mike Staudenmeier, and Lady and the four of us together co-wrote the book uh and you know as we put it in the intro maybe one of the uh, an example of some of the cooler aspects of ARA itself was this sort of commitment to horizontally working together and making a cool thing happen cool collectively and we did that. And Fuck so yeah. thanks to the people who were there and to my co authors. And so the the whole process I am just one small part of, but thanks to everybody, the book is fucking good. Yeah. So you and should buy we've it.
3: We've linked it in our episode description for everyone. Yeah. Purchase if you so desire or are able. Hey.
0: Yeah. And if not request a library, stock it and then go steal get it out from the library.
6: Do both. Request it from your local library. If you're a student, request it at your school's library. The, they pretty much always buy those. Yeah.
3: Yay.
0: Heck yeah. Sophie, you have a new podcast?
3: Yeah, you can listen to Internet Hate Machine with Bridget Todd. Uh, and for all Cool Zone Media shows, you can go to CoolZoneMedia.com or at CoolZoneMedia on Twitter and Instagram while they still exist. Yay. Anything you want to plug?
0: Uh, I'm part of a publishing collective called Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. We put out a bunch of books and zines and podcasts and shit. Um, Not this podcast, but we put out a different one of my podcasts called Live Like the World is Dying, your guide for what feels like the end times about individual and community preparedness. And we're about to put out our first book. Um, It might be out by the time you all hear this. I don't even know. And it's by uh, Cindy Melstein, and it's called Tri-Anarchism for Life, and it has lots of really beautiful art and really nice essays and you can go get it at tangledwilderness.org or wherever you get your books. That's what I got.
3: Awesome. Thanks, and we'll be back next week.
6: Yay.
3: Thanks, Yay. Shannon.
6: Thanks, Shannon. Thank you all. Very happy to be here. Appreciate it.
3: Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next-day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee.